All right, everybody. Happy Friday. Um, it's been a little bit of a crazy day in the markets today for some of our stuff. Um, some interesting developments. Some looks like another misleading Bloomberg article in the GSEs, which pretty much makes two or three now from the authors. Uh, so it's becoming pretty clear that kind of like uh, the way the Wall Street Journal was on uh, the days John Carney was there. Um, the attitude, their attitude towards the GSEs, the shareholders, the recap and release is pretty well set. And, uh, you know, to, to put out an article with no direct quotes and no attrition to anyone, not even senior officials, um, I think it's pretty irresponsible given what did the stock prices. But, um, you know, that's probably, that was probably their goal. So um, if so, then they accomplish it. All right, so let's get right to the questions. Um, number one, I do not understand this paragraph in the recent Hamish Hume article in American Banker. Fifth, the government should not play favorites among private shareholders. There have been rumors about allowing preferred shareholders to convert into common stock or allowing a limited rights offering to certain shareholders. This will lead to disputes and delay. Why, okay, why allowing preferred shareholders to convert into common stock plays favorites to private shareholders? And why will this lead to disputes and delay of plan? Does this mean that Hume does not want preferred shareholders to be converted to commons? Well, most of the preferreds can be redeemed or converted um, anyway. I think what he was more speaking to was allowing a limited rights offering to certain shareholders. Um, that would not be something that uh, somebody would not sue over or there would not be some sort of court delay over that. So that's what he's saying is that, you know, if they come out with a plan and they decide to do a rights offering to pref junior preferred shareholders only, um, common shareholders would probably be involved in some sort of litigation. They'd be involved in that also. Um, or non-current shareholders might want to just be able to buy into a rights offering and if they weren't allowed to would could file some sort of lawsuit so i think i think that's what he meant more to um as far as a conversion and you know i don't know that offering junior preferred shareholders to convert would be that much of a detriment you know perhaps maybe a forced conversion would be something that someone that would not want um, and that may be what he's talking about also. Instead of rather granting those shareholders who wanted the right to convert to convert, forcing junior preferred shareholders to convert, again, that might be something that, you know, junior preferred shareholders, some would start litigation that would delay the process. Um, but that's, that's, that was my take on that. So um, IIPR's growth on property is very impressive. However, there might be two significant risks for stock price, stock counts dilution, stock counts were 1 million in 16, 3.4 and 17, 7.3 in 2018, and now 9.8 million. Seems like it doubles the share count each year, which is quite a, appalling. If you continue to use interest of new shares to fuel growth, and once growth stalls due to reasons such as completions, regulations, etc., will the share price collapse? Two, super high dividend payout ratio, dividend payouts ratios, 1.6, 1.4, Yeah, more than double that of read industry average. Dividend payout funds from operations, 220%. December 27, 91, December 28, 90%. How can sustain the growth with so little retained earnings? 
does reward too much as investors so far. So the dividend payouts because they're REIT. REITs are required to pay out a certain percentage of their profits to shareholders they, in, order, in order to maintain REIT status. So the payouts is because they're required to pay X amount out. Um, regarding the share count, and I addressed this yesterday in a post, and actually I addressed this in the first post I did last August when I first bought this stock, like 35 bucks a share, um, that I anticipated them using equity to um, finance operations, okay? Banking is still kind of sketchy in the marijuana industry, even though IIPR doesn't technically touch the plant, okay? So they're, not, they're not the grower or the harvester or the retail operation. They just build a house for it. Um, it still is somewhat opaque um, as far as banking them. And so they're using equity, a very high-priced equity, as a way to acquire more cash to fuel their growth. And I have absolutely no problem with that. They have 50 million shares authorized. I think after this equity offering, they have 11.2, 11.6, something like that in that area, share, million shares outstanding. I have absolutely no problem whatsoever uh, with them using this. I'd rather have them do this than go the debt route at you know rates that would probably be pretty unattractive given the vagaries of the banking rules. Now, this may all change if the same Safe Banking Act, which is it's in Congress right now, I believe it's for the, before the Senate, if they pass it and Trump signs it, this might completely change things. They may still opt to go the, the equity route in order to um, finance operations. But, you know, I, I am not the least bit concerned about that. I'd rather, at this point in their stage, have them issue more shares rather than take on debt. Um, and as the, the question about um, uh, if it continues to use issuance of new shares each year, which is quite appalling, oh, once growth stalls. I don't particularly see growth stalling anytime soon. If anything, they are issuing these shares every eight, nine months simply because their growth is so dramatic right now that they have to. If you remember when they reported physical end of the year, they said they had about a, about $100 million in projects going forward on this year. They've already signed deals for, um, I want to say, $40 million, Don't quote me that number. Um, already this year. They have $55 million with letters of intent and another $100 million in the pipeline. So that $100 million of deals they said they had in the pipeline back when they reported 2018 results has now grown to almost $200 million in four months. So I am not the least bit concerned about growth stalling. You have to remember, we still only have, I think one more just went, I think there's 34 states now their medical marijuana is legal. There's still, there's still 16 states to make it legal. And even in the states where it's legal now, significant number of those states have just started in the last couple months. So everyone's just, it's just ground floor across the U.S. basically for medical marijuana dispensaries. Massachusetts Rilev has been legal for over a year now, and there's a handful of medical dispensaries open. There's so much growth ahead of this company um, that I am, you know, I'm not, I'm not concerned about it. And, you know, this difference between 
you know, this is almost like a private company, right? This is private companies do this all the time, right? They don't go into the debt markets because debt is, you know, it'd be nine, eight, nine, ten percent interest rates, which is really kind of punitive given the interest rate environment right now. But there's our risks involved, so they need to be compensated for that risk. The issue in the equities is it's a fraction, it's a fraction of the cost, and you know they've done it. This is the third one, third raise they've done now, and it's just it's been fine every time. So you know I'm not concerned with today's stock price drop at all, and uh, I I like the strategy. These guys are experienced operators. Go back to biomed. Uh, the the, the um, medical REIT that they did that you know they averaged 17 18 percent a year returns um, for they cashed out and sold at the Blackstone for for big bucks and they're just replicating that model right now and they're doing it in an industry that is in its infancy compared to where Biomed got into it when their industry there and I'm not you know I think it's I'm perfectly okay with this I think I'm getting redundant now but um, I'm not the least concerned the share count going up, you know, they're, they're, they're not going out and raising $300 million at once and diluting shareholders they are doing it in segments. They're doing it as they need it. Right. So if in that example, if demand for new properties did slow a bit, well, then they're not sitting on, you know, $500 million in cash with nowhere to put it because they raised too much. They're raising what they need. The stock price goes up and then they raise more. But don't forget, I mean, they're raising, you know, they raised 100, about 150 million dollars this time, and only issued, you know, they're issuing, they're issuing less and less shares to do it each time because they're, they're doing it as the price goes up. They're not just carpet bombing for 500 million dollars at a 40 dollar share price. You know, they did it. They did it. At, I think it was 40 when they did it last time. Now did it 126 today. That's a significant difference in the number of shares they had to issue. So, um, Michael Burry liked to buy what he called "ick investments." One just example is given on Michael Lose's book, The Big Short. He went looking for court rulings, deal completions, or government regulatory changes, anything that might change the value of the company. The alarmingly named Avant Corporation was a good example. He found it searching for the word accepted in news stories. I was looking to get in front of something. I was looking for something happening in the courts that might lead to an investment thesis, an argument being accepted, a plea deal being accepted, a settlement being accepted by the court. The website Burry used to look for this sort of information is called 10K Wizard. Then 10K Wizard is bought and replaced by Morningstar Document Service, which was also retired in year 2016. Do you use this search method to look for ideas too? If yes, what replacement of 10K Wizard like IntelliJuice, Sensio, Fintel.io do you use? Any recommendations? By the way, I see IIPR may be a good idea related to government regulatory changes. Um, yeah, so that's exactly... You know, IIPR is, is an example of that. I don't have any keyword searches that I do like that. Um, and the only SEC service I use is a one called BAM SEC. Um, it's a really nice service and they have a lot of things going for it. I just like it's easy to use. They send me my email alerts and the filings are done. So, and it's easy to find things. And um, so that's the one that I happen to use. That's the one that I like. I, have, I haven't used any other ones so I really can't speak to them at all as to their effectiveness or which one is better than the other ones so nowadays with the you know again Bray was doing this back in the early 2000s Um, and I think that um, nowadays even with Google Alerts you could just put keywords into Google Alerts and, and things like that and get 
specific type of, um, you know, some people put in SPAC, which is Special Purpose Acquisition Vehicle. Some people do Google for Activist Investor or um, Restructuring or things like that. And, and you'll get alerts that way um, through it. But uh, I don't particularly do that very often. So um, curious as to what you think the potential timeline for news out of the HAC strategic process might be. I honestly have no idea whatsoever. Um, you know, I would, I guess, I think I'm pretty sure something's going to happen. Right? I mean, you don't, you don't just walk into an investment bank and out of the blue and say, you know, let's go shop in this company and see what we can get for parts of us, see what we can do. Um, unless you've been approached by some people or there's been, there's been talks about or things like that. So, um, you know, this isn't one of those situations where the company's in financial distress and they have to figure out what they have to do and, you know, are they going to change where the operators try and struggle through it or what are they going to do? I mean, this is a healthy company. It's profitable. It's the cash flow is increasing dramatically year over year. Um, everything's going good. It's just the stock price has been stagnant. And the stock price is stagnant because the company is too difficult for Wall Street to put into a specific box. So they just ignore it. Um, so I, the fact that they took out the loan on the seaport um, immediately before, it was like a week before, the news of this comes out. It, it just tells me that something is going to happen. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a complete sale of the company, um, a spinoff, you know, maybe you get that REIT spinoff we've been looking for, um, a spinoff of this development company. I have no idea um, what they're going to do, but, you know, it's, I think it's pretty likely something happens. And as I said before, you know, Jonathan Gray runs Blackstone's real estate division. Him and Bill Ackman are good friends. You know, been to a couple conferences where they've both been and, you know, they've both spoken about their friendship. And, you know, oh, by the way, Blackstone raised $20 billion beginning of the year to invest in real estate. So, I mean, you know, the stars are kind of lined up for something to happen there. And um, I think I would be more surprised if something did than didn't happen as far as when I mean, I honestly have no idea. There's nothing happening with the company, whereas there's sort of even a soft time on when something should happen. You know, there's no, you know, there's no approval waiting on something. There's no groundbreaking on something. So there's not any pressing need to get something done in a short time frame. So, you know, I'm not overly concerned that, um, you know, if, if we don't hear something by, um, you know, August or something that it's not going to happen. Um, you know, it could, it could happen whenever. So, um, in the meantime, you know, we just wait and see what happens. But, um, do you see any solution for Fannie Mae GSEs after the presidential election, November 2020? I, I mean, I hope it doesn't go that far. I, mean, I really hope we get whatever resolution we're looking for um, or at least the enactment of the plan or announcement of the plan well before then, you know, I mean, I'd like, I'd like to have 
whatever they want to do announced this month, you know, and then we can work out the details as far as the whens and what's going to happen as we go along. But um, I think the sooner everyone's committed to something, then that's the better off for everyone. And uh, we, we just start going from there. And like I said before, you know, the, if the plan to, you know, right now everyone's talking IPO money in January. And, you know, if that doesn't happen until April or May, I don't think that that matters as much as announcing a plan of what's going to happen. I think the junior preferreds are going to jump to probably pretty close to par, at least 70% of par, um, 75% maybe on the announcement of a plan. Um, Cause clearly even if plans announced, there's going to be some negotiation back and forth and things like that. So uh, that'll happen probably on the announcement. So that could happen, you know, in, in a couple of weeks if, if it's announced in a couple of weeks. So I think the longer it drags out, um, you know, it's just, it's ne- uncertainty is never good. So, um, any postmortem on sea change, why I managed to, was never able to figure out to put a cash effectively that see, you know, sea change was, a was, a it was a frustrating investment because on, there was not a single valuation metric, right. That you could throw out there that the company was not grossly undervalued, right? I mean, they just, uh, you know, they, they were holding, you know, 60 to 70% of the market cap was just a cash on the balance, but the books and had very little debt. Um, none, I don't think, I don't know what they have now. I, don't, I haven't really been following that close, but um, I, and I think part of the problem was, it was maybe a size thing. I don't know. I know. so. They had a couple different iterations, right? They originally were this box set maker, box top maker. But as we all know, you know, all the box top sets are going away. Um, everything's just directly um, going into, you know, going right over the internet now. It's all cloud-based stuff. So they had to transition their business from that to, <clears throat> um, you know, software, becoming a software company instead of a hardware company, basically. Um, so, you know, there's always some cost involved with that, some restructuring, and that's why the price was cheap, but, you know, they, they still were profitable and they, they, you know, albeit, you know, a a penny or two every quarter. Um, and they still are, you know, had tons of cash on the books and, you know, they still had activist investors and it just didn't go anywhere. And they just, you know, they kept like, so I guess sea changes problem was probably the exact opposite of the problem with Chesapeake, whereas, you know, every quarter there seemed to be some sort of change to their outlook, um, to what they thought was going to happen. You know, they always came up just a little bit short. There was one quarter, hold on, there was one quarter that they exceeded expectations and the stock ramped up, ramped up. but every other quarter after that was sort of like this, you know, it was rah, 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 the calls and these you know, good expectations and they come up short or, you know, they'd announce sales are going to be, you know, sales are going to miss, you know, miss expectations in the middle of the quarter. They didn't have an earnings earnings warning. And I think they just lost the, the lost, they lost my faith anyway. And I think they lost the faith of other people and the stock's just been sitting in that 150 to 180 area for, you know, for a couple of years now, I believe. So, you know, and, you know, it's the opposite. You have Chesapeake that it delivers in excess of what they say every quarter. 
you know, Kinder Morgan and Williams, you know, they're they're meeting or beating their expectations, you know, every single quarter, and um, so are most of the you know Bank of America and look at IIPR and all these companies are doing better than they say they're going to do. And I guess we live in a world where you can't, you know, everyone everyone has a bad quarter, and it happens to everyone every now and then. But you can't consistently quarter after quarter not <clears throat> not do what you're predicting you're going to do and have you know reasons why you can't do it um, because after a while people will just stop believing what you're saying and you know there's too many stocks to invest in so people just lose interest and your stock just sits there and languishes does nothing um, regarding the following Calabria's latest court order appeal letter it seems to me that Calabria wants to uphold the constitutionality of FHFA and the validity of the network sweep. The first argument is to try and save his own job or to try and have enough time to resolve the problem in GSEs. And it has almost no effect on a recap plan. The second argument is always there with FHFA, no matter who, what, I mean Calabria's director. So this new appeal letter seems to be <clears throat> no event to me so far, am I right? Yes, I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't think he's looking to save his job. I don't think that's the purpose of the letter. I honestly think the purpose of the letter and the purpose of what Treasury did um, was that uh, to delay the Fifth Circuit ruling, um, which is why I also think, and we'll get to this next, the Bloomberg article today that came out, um, I also think that... Um, that article is false. I mean, if if they were just kicking this thing down the road, they weren't going to do it until 2020, then, and Calabria... <coughs> so, reverse all this logic. So, if... Let's just play the if, you know, if-then game. So, if Calabria thinks he's going to submit a plan soon, and if he thinks he's going to get agreement from Treasury... And if he thinks he's going to get buy-in from preferred shareholders, junior preferred shareholders, right? Then the last thing he wants to have happen is the ruling from the Fifth Circuit, right? Because if he gets a ruling from the Fifth Circuit that says the net worth sweep is illegal, got to toss it aside, everything he's planning for just went up in the air, right? Because now the shareholders have total leverage, right? Junior preferred shareholders are going to be like, screw you, this is what we want, we want damages, Da, 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 right. So his worst nightmare, if he's this close as he says he was, you know, um, is to have a ruling from the Fifth Circuit. So how do you avoid a ruling right now? Well, you go back and basically try and re-argue the appeal, which is what Treasury and him did. But him saying we're going to defend the constitutionality of it, and by uh, Mnuchin going in and doing what he did, then now we got to re-argue all this stuff. And now, you know, this. It's courts. It'll, it'll be months. It'll be a month or two before they get in front of the judges at least, right? And then they have to, the judges who they've taken, you know, grossly excessive time compared to what they normally take to do these kind of things, have to start from scratch. And that's going to take another six, eight months to, to get any kind of ruling. And the, the goal, I'm guessing, of Calabria and, and Mnuchin is to have this wrapped up and have these cases settled before that even happens. So now the flip side of that would be, you know, we both know Calabria wants nothing more than to get this done. It has been his singular goal since he got into, and before he got into office, it was his singular goal. So if you're being, 
uh, you know, you've given every speech you've given. You've said that you've you've said you know, um, uh, you know, I want to reform the GSCs. Even when he's not talking about the GSCs, he talks about reforming about the, reforming the GSCs. He always slips it into every speech he gives, every interview he gives. He talks about them. If all of a sudden you get the rug pulled out from you, and you're told, yeah, screw it, we're not going to do it this year. We're going to wait till after the election, which I don't believe for one second happened. Um, there's too much risk involved in waiting for it after the election. Um, then why go through this dog and pony show with the settlement? Right? Why not just let the Fifth Circuit decide? And if the Fifth Circuit decides to wait, then it forces the issue on those in the administration or Congress who don't want to do anything about it. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's the same lawyers involved, right? Treasury didn't switch lawyers. They're using the same lawyers. Um, they just decided to do something different now. And if, I think it should delay tactic to get the, to get the kind of ruling out. And that takes us to today's Bloomberg article, um, which, of course, you know, it's the same group that wrote the one, I believe it was in June, that caused shares to tank before they recovered. Um, and the, the basic theme of anything they write about the GSEs is that it's not going to happen, um, that um, <coughs> administration is going to be too hard, too tough, too much pushback. They're going to wait until after the election to get it done. Um, you know, this makes absolutely no sense because elections are wild cards and you have no idea what you're going to get with an election. So saving something like this for act after an election basically implies it will never get done. And it would make Mnuchin look bad. It would make Trump look bad because he's, he's campaigned on it and he's talked about the need to get it fixed. And it'll make Calabria look bad. It'll make all three of them look bad. And you have to think that all three of them are sort of the decision makers and what we're going to do here. And I don't think they're going to intentionally make themselves look bad. You know what I mean? I think they'd rather put out a plan and try it than just basically punt. So, you know, I don't believe it for a second. Uh, I didn't believe the article when I read it this morning. And then there was a, uh, an update course, I'm not going to be able to find it, right? Uh, there was an update this afternoon in which, um, there it is. Here's the, here's the quote. This, and by the way, this was the only quote in the entire article, right? There was no actual quotes on the people who, you know, people familiar with the matter. And I hate when they do that kind of stuff. Uh, it said, the president earlier this year instructed the Department of Treasury to develop a comprehensive plan for bold reform. White House spokesman Judd Deere said in an email statement, the National Economic Council, Treasury, Federal Housing Finance Agency, and others continue to work together on this presidential priority, and anything to suggest otherwise is false, Deere said. So, again, I think we're pretty much at the point now um, with these guys over at Bloomberg, this Austin Weinstein, and there's usually one or two other people that work on it, but he's been the only, he's been the consistent one um, on all these type of articles is to ignore them um, because thus far uh, they really haven't proven to be what's the word completely accurate and have been pretty fiercely um, objected to by those actually involved in this situation so um, it does give me some sincere pause uh, when I do see a Bloomberg article, and again, it's not all Bloomberg articles. I, I love Bloomberg. They do a great job, but <clears throat> I think um, it definitely seems as though 
Mr. Weinstein has an agenda with the GSEs, not just like John Carney did. So any news is going to be interpreted anyway. He wants to read it so that, you know, it's it's how do I interpret the news to fit my preconceived notion, not what does this news actually mean and, you know, how do we kind of evaluate this and look into it. So unfortunately, I think that's kind of where we are with this um, and nothing, you know, nothing's nothing's come from the administration Nothing's come from the White House, nothing's come from FHFA, and nothing's come from Treasury to suggest that anything's changed. And in fact, the constant statements they've made have been, now this is our priority, this is what we want to do. Um, you know, yeah, I know Mnuchin's busy with trade deals, but I mean, okay, so what? He, he only worked on one thing at a time? He doesn't have a staff working on it right now? I mean, the, the, the implication that Mnuchin's busy with trade deals so he can't focus on GSE reform is ludicrous. It's, it's not the only thing he has to do. He's got a staff of people who can work on this stuff for him. And I'm sure there's a GSE reform working group from Treasury, FHA, and everyone who gets together and, and they work on it. I don't think Calabria's in the room every single time they're working on it. I don't think Mnuchin is in the room every time they're working on it either, right? They've been given their marching orders, told what to do, and they report back to the head, just like in every other business place in the world. So... Um, that's where I am with that. Um, let me see anything else. I don't, I don't see that there's, um, any other questions. Yeah. So it looks like, um, looks like a relatively quick one this week. Oh, not too bad. Half an hour. That's probably, seems to be about the right time. So. I think, um, I think longer than that, sort of, I don't know. And I guess I'll, I guess I'll just go and answer the questions, and when the question's around, I'll stop answering them. So um, a couple housekeeping items. Um, the site was updated, so performance-wise, it should react a little bit better. It, it had code in there from uh, when uh, it was started in 2009, we went to this particular website. Uh, so a lot of that stuff was outdated and old and um, a lot of things I wanted to do that I wasn't able to do. So that's been being updated. So if you if you go to log on and it's glitchy, you can't get on, um, <clears throat> just especially at night. They're doing the work at night. So uh, during the daytime, it should be fine. But if you're trying to do something at night and you get a site is not working, whatever, that's just what it is. And it'll be back up. You know, it's usually never down for more than a couple hours at a time. Um, but they've been working on it late at night. So. Um, you know, obviously depending on your time zone, but uh, if that's Eastern time, they're working on it. Usually around 10, 11, 12 o'clock. So, um, but that should be done soon. And uh, don't forget about the affiliate links. Um, I think we're up to about 30, 40 people now, and people are doing really well with it. Um, so, people are making some good money. And uh, <clears throat> a couple of you almost have your, uh, your, uh, your membership for free, <laughs> which I think is, I think that's the coolest thing is that you can use a site like value plays and make money on the stocks and actually make money being a member. I think that's just, I think that's just awesome. So, uh, good luck to everyone with that. Uh, keep it up. And as always, please email me your questions for next week and I'll get this posted right away. So you can, uh, you can listen, have a great and safe weekend, everybody.